Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Kreisel and Diane Dua and I are your hosts every week right here on AM 1290, FM 96.9, and streaming at AM 1290, KZSB.com. We're repeated at 11 and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending, whose highly trained and experienced team takes great pride in helping people with home financing, offering competitive rates and a wide array of loan programs. American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people on Santa Barbara at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets at Amatecito's Upper Village. At Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. Hi, Neil. How are you today? Well, I was fine until I just looked at the stock market. You know, it went down today, Diane. Yes, it seems to be the new trend, the volatility all on the downward side. Yeah, and I read a, a, an interesting caption, which I thought was really funny. It's it's called the tech wreck decline. I think that was very clever. Yeah, you know, there's a new there was a statistic out this morning that I read that about 50% of the NASDAQ companies are down 50%. So, you know, I think it's something to um, be aware of that even though we went through the shortest recession in history in 2000, uh, you know, you had the rebound be all that much um, faster, and you had a lot of companies that um, potentially didn't deserve to go up as much based upon their underlying fundamentals. And so I think we're seeing some of that correction going on now, but it, it certainly has been a, a brutal few weeks. So are we going to talk today all about normal investments like what Musk did with Twitter? I mean, that's sort of like a, a safe investment, isn't it? <laughs> well, why don't we introduce our guests and take there, Neil? We have with us two of CSUCI's professors with us, lecturers both. We have Brian Toms, who's the assistant professor of com computer science, and Mary Rockenstein, who's an attorney and a business lecturer. So thank you both for being here with us today. We appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. It's nice to be here. And it's, well, sorry, Mary Rockenstein, like Beerstein or Frankenstein, just, you know, that's like all <laughs> <tell> my students. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you. It's Brian here. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> thank you. So the first article, uh, and I point this out because of what the substance of it is, was actually written about 10 days ago. And it, let me just read you a paragraph. It, it said, according to Tesla's regulatory filings, Musk has pledged about half of his 173 million shares of Tesla stock uh, to fund other ventures and activities other than Twitter. He now uh, pledged an additional 40% to secure the new loans to buy Twitter. That leaves only 10% of his Tesla shares available as collateral. Because Tesla's policy allow only major that allow major shareholders to borrow only 25% of the value of, that each share is pledged, it would appear that he's reaching the point where he may run into trouble. And the article says that the uh, stock in the article is 870. He said if the stock were to go below 750, he could run afoul of Tesla's leverage ratio. Well, today, Tesla closed at 787. So he's very close to the point where he may be in uh, jeopardy of going over his uh, permitted leverage on the shares that he's pledged. Um, 
The other interesting thing about this article, it talks about the uh, fact that even today, the stock is selling at 100 times earnings as compared to uh, uh, less than 20 for uh, Amazon, for uh, Alphabet, um, and uh, less than 35 for Amazon. So it, it, even with all of the decline, it's still selling at a significant multiple. The other point here is that um, the uh, idea that you could eliminate uh, advertising um, is obviously troublesome, uh, but the article that uh, I'm talking about is looking at another interesting aspect, and that is advertisers don't want controversy. And um, there was a meeting of major advertisers last week that discussed the whole uh, notion that if uh, Twitter were to become uh, a uh, wild west, they would not want to advertise there simply because the type of ads that Twitter is attracting from major companies are image ads as opposed to what's on Facebook, which are direct product ads. And so the fear here is, is whether or not uh, Musk tries to get rid of uh, advertising, which would I think be insane since 90% of Twitter's revenue is now advertising and they still lose money. The fact is that if he were to simply loosen up the requirements to behave nicely, uh, he could lose a significant amount of his advertisers. That said, though, I think a lot of people are concerned about something that may or may not happen, right? Elon Musk likes to be in the fray. And who knows if he's going to get rid of the um, the rules on decorum or not, really. I don't think we're, I, I think the jury's still out on that. Well, he may... Yeah, I think he's given us some hints, though. I mean, he said, didn't he just send out a, a tweet to the workers of Twitter saying, expect to work harder, <laughs> expect to work harder, not as hard as I do, but expect to work harder. But he has said that he wants it, you know, completely unfettered and free. And I think most social media companies have learned from the past, you know, with Facebook, you know, all their social media platforms that it is difficult to be a completely open platform because even though they're private actors, so you can say, well, maybe all the laws don't necessarily apply to them, but what do you do when you say, oh, I'm completely open, but then, you know, we know that free speech is not absolute. There are exceptions. So you've got obscenity and child pornography and defamation. And um, so what do you do about when those issues come up on your social media platform. And that's why they've, you know, even Facebook got into a lot of trouble as well, but had to realize, okay, we do have to have some type of moderation. And, you know, he's already said too, that he wants to monetize Twitter. He thinks that, you know, it needs to be monetized. And so I'm assuming we probably will see more ads, but he's also talked about subscription services as well. And having, you know, he's already said commercial government, he believes they should have to pay something. And then a casual user, he hasn't defined what a casual user is. You know, it'll always be free. You know, it's interesting. You said that uh, there was this statement about uh, you have to work harder. Uh, the way he wants to run it, I don't know what they have to do to work at all. If he wants it to be a free platform, everyone can go home. Um, the next article I've got is um, about uh, the gains in the dollar. Uh, versus other currencies, and uh, which I think why we are actually at a GDP shrinkage for quarter one this year is because the dollar is so strong and our net 
exports were down much because the dollar was so strong. Well, that's exactly the point of this article. Uh, We must either be reading the same things or you're very smart. Uh, But the other part of this article um, is about uh, translation of foreign earnings into uh, dollars. And 40% of S&P earnings come from foreign sources. And when you uh, earn money in a foreign country and you're an American company, you report earnings in dollars. And when you do the uh, conversion, if the dollar is stronger, your earnings are going to be lower. And so there may be a hit for the next couple of quarters for major uh, multinational corporations because of the uh, negative translation. Um, The next article is... um, about the bond market. And, you know, we've been talking about the stock market here. And this article in Sunday's Wall Street Journal talks about how bad the bond market has been the last uh, couple of months. And um, the article cites a study that showed that this particular bond market decline, uh, with the exception of one year, is worse than any year since 1792. That's how bad this bond market is. And um, the idea that um, people are saying, maybe we should get out of bonds now, the article, and we're not going to really go into this now because it's really kind of off the topic of what we're going to talk about today, is that um, if we can constrain inflation, uh, then the bonds should be okay. And given the current yield to maturity on some of these bonds, this is really not the time to sell. So the idea here is uh, about how bad it has been. This is not the time to bail out of bonds. Absolutely. But to put it in perspective, through through uh, close of business on Friday, you had the S&P 500 total return index down about 13.1, and you had a 60-40 Uh, the Vanguard balanced index fund down 13.6. So that means bonds were doing a half a percent worse than just straight stocks. That's very rare that you see that in the markets. And the last article for today um, is uh, about uh, some surprises that gig economy workers may be finding uh, in their, when they do their taxes. And that is the uh, new IRS rules uh, are raising the uh, amount of, uh, excuse me, are lowering the amount of revenue that uh, you can earn from uh, non uh, W-2 form earnings uh, to uh, require a a, a 1099 form. And right now, uh, 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 it's $20,000 and they're going to reduce it to $600, which means, for example, if you sell something on eBay, you're going to have to prove that it was something that you bought at a greater price. If you are um, uh, renting your house uh, through um, one of the online uh, rental systems, you may get a, 1090, a 1099 form. So the, uh, the and all of these companies, whether it's eBay, SD, uh, Air, 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 and B. Uh, Vimo and and Uber are going to be required to send these forms in. So if somebody sends you a, a Venmo uh, for money that you lent them for a thousand dollars, you have to keep receipts to show that you actually lent money. It's not some some earnings. That that will 
cause a big kerfuffle, I think, in the tax forms for 2022. Has that gone into effect? Is that what that article said? No, it goes into effect next year. And so people are trying to fight it. But all of the companies are gearing up their computers to be able to do it. Uh, so it looks like the best career move you can make is to be an accountant, given this development. Uh, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9. And we'll be right back. For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the Kelly Marsh team.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. Juice, Mom. Juice, juice, juice. Mommy, why are we going to the store? Mom, Mom, I want juice. Mom, your child will have different needs at different stages of life, and that includes the car seat. That's right, the car seat. A car seat isn't one size fits all. You have to have the right seat based on your child's age, weight, and height. See, car crashes are a leading killer of children ages 1 to 13. But there's a website that gives you all the information you need. Safercar.gov slash the right seat. You'll find out about types of seats, when to have a seat rear-facing, when to switch it to forward-facing, when it's time for a booster seat, and when it's time for your child to ride in the back seat with a seatbelt. Protect your child's future at every stage of life. Go to safercar.gov slash the right seat. That's safercar.gov slash the right seat. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Cornerstone Home Lending since 1988, a mortgage banker and direct lender. That believes in providing in-depth loan consulting to its customers in a personalized and honest manner. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. If you're just joining us, we have with us two of CSUCI uh, professors with us and lecturers, um, one being Brian Toms, who is a social media expert and free speech expert, and the other being Mary, I almost said Frankenstein, Frankenstein, <laughs> Rockenstein, <Okay>. <laughs> being <laughs> an attorney and a Supreme Court um, expert. And, you know, we're really looking forward to hearing from both of you about um, what's going on in the world today. But let's take a step back. And first, Mary, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and what you teach? Sure. So, hi, Mary, Mary Rockenstein. And I'm what you call a civil litigator, so um, civil cases practicing in federal and state courts. 
and doing everything from basic, you know, breach of contract, corporate issues, tort issues like defamation and um, products liability and intellectual property. And I teach business law and I also teach law and ethics. So I teach business law to our undergrads and then law and ethics to our MBA students. Perfect. And Brian, what about you? Tell me, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you teach. Certainly. I'm, my name is Brian Toms, and I'm associate professor in computer science at California State University, Channel Islands. I graduated Fordham University in New York City and worked on the global finance desk for Solomon St. Barney for a number of years when I first started out in industry after college. And then I moved to California, uh, pursued a PhD at Claremont Graduate University, and have been teaching at Channel Islands since 2014. I teach courses in human-computer interaction, database systems, and mobile app developments. And right, my area of research is in, is in social media, social systems, social computing, and also health systems. So... So tell us what you think, you know, you hear all the time, um, Brian, about, you know, social media and the downside of social media. And how do you think that social, you know, part of when I say the downside, kind of that lack of people thinking, th people thinking that you can say anything online because it's, it's more of an anonymous way to, to approach things. And you can be as cruel as mean, and mm -hmm. there seems to be no um, barrier or of which people are not willing to jump over to be cruel to other humans. How do you, what, what, what do you see happening with that? And, and do you think that there'll be a pendulum switch or, or swing back to kind of more of that civil discourse that we're all hoping for in America? I think that's what's interesting. Uh, when we're talking about social media companies, when, when you're talking about social media companies, you're thinking Twitter, Facebook, um, Snapchat, and Instagram. Um, but social media is much bigger. Like, for example, I run my own personal social um, um, software in my classroom, and it's an open forum for discussion, but it's not free speech the way the government kind of regulates free speech. And neither is the case on Twitter and Facebook. Um, what was it? Uh, Citizens United, uh, you know, we understand now corporations are considered individuals under the law. Um, they're private the organizations. Yeah. They're private. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. They're rights. private. Yeah. Right. No, absolutely. So, the so they're private. Banana. Right. You're the you're the legal expert. <laughs> so uh, they're private entities, and when it comes to private entities, they're shareholders. And Twitter, one third of their shareholders are three companies. It's like BlackRock, um, Morgan Stanley, and I forgot who the third is. But they're 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 beholden to their their shareholders, right? So their users and their shareholders. So users dictate whether or not they like the platform. Um, some users are going to be upset if free speech is curbed. Um, stakeholders might be upset if free speech is curbed. Um, but it largely depends on, on what the feedback that users are providing. Um, so um, when we read about Elon Musk, who wants to open up free speech completely as a free speech advocate, we always have to remember that Twitter is not a public forum. It's a private organization that, that, that runs it. So it's really the stakeholders and the users that are gonna dictate how the, the, the behavior of individuals on that site. Um, if it was opened up to complete free speech, um, yeah, there's gonna be hate speech. There's going to be things on there that a lot of users don't want to subscribe to. So how does an organization, how do, how, how, how does an organization try to manage that? It's very, very tough, right? It's a tough pickle. You want to have an open forum, but 
if people are abusing it, um, that's one aspect. So curbing free speech is one thing. But one thing Elon Musk wanted to also do, which has been a real, uh, it's been really hurting free speech, is eliminating the bots, the robots that come in that automatically generate contents and really uh, uh, muddle, muddies the water, muddy, muddies the conversation. So you don't know if that's an individual or a robot that's producing that, that speech. So that's real challenging. That's one thing he wants to reduce also, which will increase free speech in a way because it will reduce the, the number of, um, you know, just the noise that, 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 that happens on the system. So Mary, yeah. on that note, free speech is a slippery <laughs> slope, right? Because everyone yes. says whatever they want and then says, what? there's free speech. <laughs> but can you share with our listeners really what the difference between the legal definition of free speech and then what are what as Americans our constitution protects as free speech as opposed to you know antagonistic or hate speech well and we like we love to say i mean we say you know free speech is not absolute under the law and like Brian was talking about you know we have social media platforms that want to be completely open but then under um, the First Amendment with free speech, we know obscenity, um, defamation, um, and hate speech actually is allowed. Um, but so we do have these restrictions that are exceptions to the First Amendment. And one of the things you know that social media platforms have been grappling with, even though they're not public actors, they're private entities, is how to moderate that and how to um, kind of protect themselves from you know backlash and um, you know, and they found that it is a very slippery slope, and it is very difficult to do, as Elon Musk is about to find out. <laughs> and so, so Mary, in your opinion, how do we weigh these negative effects that social media has on our lives against the benefits that it provides of connecting us all? Well, I think and there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of areas for concern. And one of them is the content moderation. How do they, you know, how do they moderate the content? Um, one of the other big concerns, and they um, talked about this during, you know, COVID with so many individuals flocking to social media during the shutdowns was how, you know, they have these algorithms and you have algorithms that kind of are directing content towards you that they know you're going to approve of and that you agree with. And so it also creates a divide. You know, you talk about, Diane, you talked about how can we get back to this civil discourse in our country, which is what free speech was all about, right? Is that we wanted to have this marketplace of ideas where you could say what you felt and what you believed and not get, you know, a lot of hate back on social media at you, where you could voice your opinions and again, not have this hate back at you. Um, but so that's, um, and that's been a big concern too, as well as the content moderation when they have these algorithms put into place, like we'll use Facebook as an example, and where, you know, you're looking at certain articles and you're doing likes and things. And so they keep feeding you content from that point of view that they know you're going to like and approve. And so it's kind of creating this divide in that you're not really engaging with individuals that have different beliefs or viewpoints than you. So that's another issue is like the whole content moderation, you know, we get it and it also gets into kind of content bias. So there's all these different levels of, um, of concern of social media. And we say, yeah, it's great that it's open and we have all these you know, individuals online, but then do you actually hear any opposing views? You know, are you actually challenged? 
in your beliefs and in, um, you know, what you read and think about certain issues or um, of the day, because you're only being fed, you know, what they know you're going to agree with. And I know that's kind of a generalization, but. And so it's this vacuum loop that you live in. And do you think that that has contributed to more of this, um, you know, the QAnon or the conspiracy theories that have really flourished in this online environment? I would say yes, um, just because it seems, it, I mean, it seems, you know, the temperature in our country is really hot. And what we would, you know, we talk about is how do we lower that temperature and how do we open things up where that um, individuals are willing to listen to someone? They don't agree with what they say. But as, you know, I tell my students, I said, you know, First Amendment means I may not agree with what you have to say, but I will defend your right to say it as long as it doesn't violate the First Amendment. It's like you can, you know, you're free to have and I say at the college level, this is where you need to be challenged and you need to hear different opinions um, in order to, so we can actually have this discourse. And it's like, yeah, I may not agree with what you have to say, but I'll defend it. And I understand that, yeah, you have a different viewpoint than I do. And that's perfectly fine. We're still going to get along. Um, and that's the way it's supposed to be in our country. So you're, you're, you're listening to, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9. And we'll be right back. When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. Shelterbox USA provides emergency shelter and supplies for families around the world who've been displaced by natural disaster and conflict. Here's Carrie Murray. Shelterbox focuses on the provision of emergency shelter and then life-saving supplies. Inside the green shelter box is a family emergency tent. There are containers to store purified water, so it's a water purification unit. You've lost power, so there are solar lights. Also, Shelterbox blankets, ground mats, mosquito nets, pots, pans, and things to eat on. There's a Shelterbox toolkit, very basic tools to help with the repair process. One box will serve one family. Shelter boxes run here in Santa Barbara, which a lot of people are surprised by. To learn more about Shelterbox USA, to make a donation, or to volunteer, go to shelterboxusa.org. That's shelterboxusa.org. Or call 805-608-2400. National Nurses Week is celebrated in May, honoring a distinguished profession, in the U.S., there were some 12,000 registered nurses by 1900. Today, that figure exceeds 3 million. Nurses' responsibilities have grown with their numbers, keeping up with increasingly complex medical technology. They're found not only in the nation's 6,900 hospitals, but also in more than 90,000 other caring facilities. Profile America is a public service of the U.S. Census Bureau. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities 
who were seeking long-term financial confidence. You know, before the break, we were talking about the issue of uh, free speech. But one of the things we don't really talk about much is how uh, free speech sometimes hurts the people that are making uh, uh, f- uh, facetious comments about the world that we don't believe in. And I, and I point this out today with all of the uh, mem stocks hitting almost new lows, that for the last nine months, we've seen the dudes uh, investing in uh, really crazy stuff where, you know, stocks like uh, Game, uh, uh, Game, GameStop was up from 15 to 400, and American uh, movie uh, AMC was up from 12 to 120. And um, now they've all collapsed. But part of the reason they went up is that people were in their own echo chamber. So it wasn't about social issues. It was about, you know, almost like the old, you know, uh, pump and dump uh, days of the 1920s with the stock market. So one of the you know problems with uh, unregulated web is it's not just political. There's also some financial risk that takes place when people are allowed to do what a lot of people did to, you know, inflame craziness in the stock market. Absolutely. And I think part of that echo chamber has helped raise the temperature because there is no thoughtful discourse any longer. It's you hear exactly what you think and you it it further cements in your own belief system without seeing other sides. Before the break, Brian, you were talking about bots. And I think that that's interesting to explore because we have We've, ha- we've seen during election cycles, a lot of quote unquote bo- bots being blamed for misinformation and the bots were either Russian or Chinese or China's Chinese. And so where do you see that going forward if bots are, are eliminated? If they're eliminated, well, I mean, if they're eliminated, that's, that's, that's a benefit for the platform because the platform again can it's that classic try to find the signal within the noise. Um, if we eliminate as much of the noise as, as, as we can, and what Elon Musk with his open AI platform um, aims to do is, you know, through artificial intelligence, be able to determine what, uh, what accounts and what information is, is correct and what isn't. So to eliminate a large chunk of the noise will, again, it because it, it, lots of times when uh, a single individual makes a post, it's when it, it, it starts um, um, it just to replicate and propagate through the network, right? Through virality. And all of a sudden it's everywhere and the algorithms are picking it up. And then the more it's repeated, the more accurate it seems. And the more accounts it hits, the more it's retweeted. It gets retweeted, retweeted by bots. It gets retweeted by real people. Um, so if we can eliminate the bots, it would, you know, it, it'll really open up the platform to make the information that people are trying to uh, receive um, available. So, so Brian, uh, you know, just a, it sounds like it's off the point, but there was an article today in the Wall Street Journal, which I'm looking for, but I can't find. Maybe you saw it about um, a 70 or 80 million dollar Bitcom loss uh, that was a result of a, um, a, a st- stolen Bitcoins from a, a business I've never heard of, which is apparently a billion dollar business where you lend money to buy Bitcoins for one second, you uh, lend it and you pay it back within a nanosecond. And in order to play this game, which is not really a game because there's a billions of dollars at stake, you have to be a computer expert. And uh, 
you have to write code for every trade. And somebody was able to figure out how within that nanosecond to actually uh, create an interruption where they stole $80 million. I don't expect you to comment on that, but are we getting to the point where the technical expertise um, is is getting out of control even from the people that have the expertise? <laughs> well, yeah, it's garbage in, garbage out. The classic, you know, right? Depends on how good your information is or your data is will determine how good your information and your knowledge is. So I have um, students um, that build algorithms that use machine learning, um, that do a lot of data mining with data sets that they find online. Um, and their output is only as good as their input. So they can run them through the algorithms. The algorithms can generate information that looks correct. The numbers all check out, but is the knowledge correct, right? So do, do, when we try to interpret those results, how are we interpreting those results? Um, so it all depends on how good the data is. Um, so there are, there's plenty of um, technical um, capabilities. Our students are very strong technically. Um, and we're only able to work with whatever data we're given. So assuming that the data is good, then our interpretations and our outputs are going to be good. But not in all cases. I mean, I have a lot of students that are, that are um, scraping data from Twitter, scraping data from YouTube. Um, a lot of this data is inaccurate. Um, and they're actually running their own, um, uh, 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 they're building their own algorithms to determine the accuracy of that data. But in other cases, some people will just take that data as correct and then make decisions based on that data, which can be very dangerous. Um, so machine learning and all the algorithms mm -hmm. that we aim to build are, are very beneficial, right? They, they, they help solve, um, um, you know, they help them solve cures. They, 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 they create, um, you know, medicine and, and, and things like that, all, all sorts of benefits. But at the same time, depends on how good that data is. We can have really bad results and scary results. And I think that's to your point, you know, as they continue to pull where people are getting all of their information from, mm -hmm. I believe it's some crazy statistic, like 60% of Americans get all of their news from Facebook, you know, and so it kind of comes together with that echo chamber, as well as potentially misinformation or the, the veracity of the information is questionable. It really has and can have negative effects within our societal structure of a democracy. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300.
The organization known as Safe Launch works to prevent adolescent exposure to alcohol and other drugs. Here's Safe Launch co-founder and executive director, Janet Rouse. We are focused on primary prevention, universal primary prevention for all youth. We promote the One Choice Initiative, which is an initiative that says no use of substances by anyone under 21. Brains are so much more susceptible, developing brains are so much more susceptible to damage and addiction and dependency if they are exposed at a young age to any drug. We have a website, safelaunch.org. The email is info at safelaunch.org. And the phone number is 805-283-7233. To learn more about Safe Launch, go to safelaunch.org. Call 805-283-7233 or the email address is info at safelaunch.org. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology. Mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So I wanted to ask both of you, you know, your thoughts on when the Twitter board actually met to decide whether or not to accept Elon Musk's bid they only took into consideration the price. So they took in consideration of the shareholders price, but really none of the other stakeholders. How do you think that that um, in corporate ethics plays into the scenario? And I know, you know, maximizing shareholder value has been around for a, a half a century, and, but isn't it that we're moving into, shouldn't we, or, people, businesses claim to be moving into taking into account all stakeholders. It doesn't seem to that the board actually took that into account. And what, what, if anything, can other stakeholders besides the shareholders do about it? Mary, let's start with you. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think they should have taken into account other stakeholders, understanding that, you know, corporation, they look to their bottom line. But I, you know, that's why they have so many groups that are so upset um, about this because of all the concerns on, okay, how is he going to change, you know, how is he going to change his corporate structure, let alone how is he going to change their approach to handling harassment and misinformation and content moderation, not just here in the United States, but also, uh, you know, internationally and abroad, because Speech laws here are completely different than speech laws abroad. And how um, how is he going to be handling that? Um, and because there are different laws governing it internationally. So I know that kind of went away from, from your question a little bit, but I think you're going to see a lot more backlash about it. And I I would hope that other companies um, would take this into account in, in making you know, when they look to making these decisions, and of course they have what their rights and responsibilities are, but also, um, you know, that they do need to include other stakeholders in decisions like this. And, you know, there is a class action lawsuit. It's a fairly small one. I believe it's a pension fund that is suing um, right now to block the sale. We'll see what happens. I believe that was just filed last week. So we'll see if that has any type of impact or kind of slows, slows things down a little bit. 
Well, I'll, I'll just jump right in in terms of like if they're just considering price, obviously that is not a, um, a, a good approach for the board to take because the board is supposed to represent the company and the company is gonna only be as successful as its users, um, the users that wanna stay on the platform. So if you have someone like Musk who wants to come in and really change things up um, uh, through uh, um, with the corporate structure, that's fine. But if he's gonna do, make big changes to the system, you could alienate a lot of lose, uh, losers, a lot of users <laughs> and um, really hurt. Uh, I mean, I don't know how much more you can hurt it. Twitter's been losing billions of dollars over you know, a number of years. Um, but if, if the users drop off even more so and advertising goes away, then of course, the platform itself is going to be in a lot worse shape than before Musk took over or takes over. The other concern also too, which um, is employee morale. I mean, the employees were extremely upset. You know, they talked about the big all hands meeting they had after, um, you know, after this was announced and how a lot of them are very upset, very angry about this, about what they see as, okay, what kind of changes are going to be happening? Is this going to completely change the whole corporate structure? And so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a lot of, um, you know, a lot of employees leaving as well. And that could be definitely be a negative on the company if you have a huge knowledge drain because of those that are like, you know, I don't want to be owned by, you know, by a billionaire. I don't want to be a billionaire's private plaything. I want it to be, you know, a little more open, even though it is a private company, but still where, you know, there isn't the fear that it's just going to be something that is played with occasionally um, and not as open or different as it was. And so given that, could it be that Elon Musk takes it over and basically the whole platform implodes? Because in a job market like we have today, where, you know, I think there's five jobs for every one person looking, can, do you think that we'll see a, a jumping of ships, so to speak, of the employees and really Elon Musk being held with the bag? And if so, you know, it, it will affect the whole structure of the deal. Well, they could get a lot of applications just <laughs> from individuals that really want to work with Elon Musk too. So I think it remains to be seen what happens between now and when the deal is closed, because there's still um, there's still think, you know, procedure and process that has to be gone through. So switching gears for a, a little bit, going back to the First Amendment and kind of the rights, you know, do you think that the First Amendment that it, the U.S. enjoys as our as a right. Do you think it supersedes, you know, the irresponsible behavior on the web? And if not, who should be the judge? How do you think that, you know, not only Twitter but other social media platforms should go ahead and and moderate these types of issues? Yeah, and that's been the big issue, hasn't it? The whole issue of you know cancel cult cancel culture. Um, that's been, you know, the huge issue because, and that's what they've been, you know, a lot of social media critics have been arguing that, oh, you know, these internet sites do violate the first amendment and they also violate section 230 of the communications decency act. They also violate, you know, they're also violate anti-discrimination laws, you know, when these sites, you know, ban or suspend or, you know, clamp down on, um, certain information that's being put out on their platforms and, so that's been the big the big debate in that it you know it can't necessarily be completely open because of these concerns and here you have private actors that are trying to 
um, determine how are we going to do this. And the one thing, too, and the Supreme Court has confirmed this um, in, in cases and in saying that even though they're operating, you know, it's a private entity, but they're operating, they're kind of acting as a state state actor and having this traditionally public function, but they still say, no, they're still a private actor. And so the First Amendment um, doesn't transform them into a state actor for purposes of the First Amendment. So therefore they do have a little more leeway in moderating the content on their sites. But we've seen all the, um, you know, the debates and also, you know, the push and pull on how do we regulate this? Um, you know, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, that's been very controversial for years because it does provide websites and web users from third-party content that's published on their sites. It gives them protection from liability for moderating content, including deleting posts, including banning individuals for violating terms and conditions. A lot of federal lawmakers have been saying this should only apply to a neutral public forum. Um, and then when President Biden was presidential candidate, Biden, um, he actually said we should completely overturn Section 230 in its entirety. Hasn't happened yet, but we know that that could also be on the horizon and that could change things a little bit as well for social media platforms. So, Brian, you, you teach um, a, a subject that used to be considered fairly benign, like engineering in a, in a sense, but it's really uh, become a weapon. Uh, that is, people who are technically experts can 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 do things that really affect everybody, uh, and not to everyone's knowledge that this is happening. Do, do you teach ethics at all to your computer science people to tell them what responsibility they have to the public with their no new knowledge about computers? So part of my role as as associate professor is also evaluating our, our curriculum. Um, so we have a general education requirement at the California State University. And I was reviewing it um, recently and I don't see an ethics specific course. It could be infused in a lot of different subjects, but there's no specific ethics course. Luckily within our department, within our program, computer science, information technology and mechatronics engineering, um, we're uh, planning to go for ABET accreditation. So that's the governing body accreditation body for engineering and technology. And part of those requirements are that we um, infuse ethics into the curriculum. So we have two courses, human computer interaction and societal issues in computing, where we do teach um, areas of ethics to our students. Um, and that's governed by, again, ABET, not necessarily uh, the CSU. It would be great to see um, uh, ethics requirement. It was required in my undergraduate education. It would, it would be great for all students to be required to take um, an ethics course, a business ethics course, computing ethics course, whatever it is. Um, it's, a, it's an area I'm passionate about. Um, I, 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 I like the, the, this, the impact, the societal impact of computing um, on, on users, on people, uh, on society. So um, I would love to see it across the board adopted not just for our program. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back with our final segment. Mm -hmm. 
For prospective homebuyers, one of the most important steps of the loan process is getting clear and honest information from someone who will speak plainly and truthfully about loan programs and options. I'm Kelly Marsh, Vice President, California, of Cornerstone Home Lending, where our highly skilled and experienced team takes great pride in helping clients obtain home financing with honest, knowledgeable, fast, friendly, and efficient service. As a Santa Barbara native who has spent the past 20 years in the mortgage industry and has closed over 4,000 loans, I'd appreciate the opportunity to earn your business and invite you to visit the kellymarshteam.com or call my office at 805-563-1100 to learn more about how Cornerstone Home Lending can help you determine the best way to manage mortgage debt to achieve a more stable financial future. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. California Residential Mortgage Lending Act license number 41DB072220. California Financial Lending Law license number 60DB072528. Loan originator NMLS number 245822. Not a commitment to loan. Equal housing opportunity. When a bank is owned by the community and invests in the community, it answers to a different call. It's personal. It's driven by your needs, not ours. Welcome to American Riviera Bank, based right here in Santa Barbara with branches in Montecito and Goleta. Our customers know us for personal service every day, every way. You can bank on us. Bank on us. Bank on us! American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. I'm out of money and my children need food. Dial 211. I'm stressed out and I need someone to talk to. Dial 211. I'm a vet and I need a resource for supportive services. Dial 211. What's 211? 211 is a simple phone number and it's free. It's open 24 hours a day in multiple languages and it's confidential. There's a specialist who provides all kinds of information on health and human services available in your community. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Neil Kreisel, and we are here with our last segment because I lost the sheet of paper that has my usual introduction. <laughs> Diane? <laughs> oh, that's great. So, you know, before the break, we were talking about Twitter and, and how, how um, do you think, both of you, do you think that Twitter should be, or Twitter-like platforms should be transferred into, or transformed rather, into a public utility of sorts? Ooh, that's a tough one. I think this <laughs> isn't that like the, the elephant in the room, <laughs> right? Is that like you know, is that like the BBC? And so where does that leave us? Yeah, could that be like PPL, BBC? Yeah, the is BBC. That, yeah, yeah. Um, because yeah, how would I guess it'd be like how would it be regulated? And it you have the same challenges, but then it'd be a little it'd be definitely a little different than it is now. But then who, you know, would they set up a board that decides and, you know, how would they determine this regulation and who would decide and how would they define all these terms? And because they would say, well, yes, it's by the First Amendment. So anything considered defamatory or, um, this, you know, um, fraud or this might, you know, would not be allowed. But I think you have similar concerns, even for a public um, actor, that it was left up to the governments to moderate. Um, that, you know, number one, who would be on the boards, but two, <laughs> same, same issues. How are these terms going to be defined? How are they going to regulate it? Um, how would you appeal? You know, how would you appeal if you were like something was taken down or you were banned? How could you appeal that? 
what would be your rights? So I think a lot of the same concerns. So could I ask this final question? If this were 200 years ago, um, and we were talking about these issues, uh, most of the people who were uh, well-educated would have taken liberal arts courses and have been uh, uh, focused on great literature and philosophical questions. Uh, Are we too much in the weeds? Um, we, We are talking about law and we're talking about computer technology. We're not talking about what's good for mankind. We're not taking into account the, 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 the humanist view that basically for hundreds of years was the center of education. Have we gotten too down into the weeds and we're missing the kind of sensitivity to what's really good for us as a, as a, as a people long-term? Good question. I think I'll say that um, some of our best students, the most successful students, are those that not only are technically strong, but also see the bigger picture. They see where the areas in society are that could use um, their services, and they take what they learn from university. And yeah, they're very successful in solving real world problems. I agree with that. And I, because I also think too, some of the issues that come up, like when he talked, you know, Twitter talks about subscription services is the equality. That's another big issue is the, you know, equality, even on social media and the access to that. And so if you, when we talk about not just content moderation, but also we talk about subscription services, okay, what is that going to do? Now you might, you have equality issues with those that are able to access it and pay for it. And then those that aren't, and those that aren't, are their voices then silenced? Well, it's glad that I asked a question about the meaning of life with 45 seconds left to go. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Mary and uh, Brian. That was terrific. Uh, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Money Talk, and we'll see you all next week. Mm-hmm.